0: Te to id had to some some wotes and not more it's important to uh, keep bringing your attention to the to the body, to the sensations in the body. This uh, uh, one can get caught up in trying to. Think about meditation. And when you find yourself getting confused or thinking or wandering, then just go back to the bodily sensations again. That will keep you grounded. The body is a heavy form, it's, it has weight, it's uh, material, uh, it's not, not like mental, uh, kind of. A, the uh, mental phenomena. So, physical, the physical body is a good anchor. <clears throat> so if you're trying to, to, um, if you find yourself wandering in thought, then uh, thinking about Buddhism, about meditation, or just getting caught in the mind that uh, chatters or proliferates, then keep going back to the body. And tomorrow morning I'll give a guided meditation on uh, awareness of physical sensation to help uh, help you to uh, develop this practice. Also it helps to relax the body, so the body uh, will, a lot of the tensions leave and, 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 the, and the body feels good when it's uh, noticed. So that will give a kind of uh, happy feeling to to your body, will relax, relieve the tensions and the pain, and then uh, also concentrate the mind, and to stop yourself from just sitting here thinking. And also it takes determination, isn't it, you've got to move your attention around the body concentrated on sensations, so that uh, you're putting forth some effort. You're not just getting into a kind of a dull, passive state. The body has many different, you know, like, like I've been describing awareness of neutral sensations. Even going to parts of your body where there aren't any sensations, like uh, there are certain areas of your body that are very sensitive and other parts that are, that have, you don't have any feeling hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to practice going to the places where there isn't any feeling or not much, just to just to uh, practice with uh, with uh, with both the Sensitive part and the and the other parts that seem to not have very much sensation. Neutral feeling atuca Matsuka vedana is is something to to appreciate because you pay attention. And again, we get back to this paying attention. Um, you you're you're noticing something that isn't. Calling attention, like pleasure, uh, you know, pleasurable sensation is uh, calls your attention. You think, "Oh, this is great! I really like this feeling." Or pain is, "Oh, this is I don't like this feeling." But a atuka matsuka waiden is uh, you don't notice. There's a lot in life you never notice. You're totally unaware of because they one lives in a realm of, of extremities. Of extreme experiences, you're aware of, and the rest goes re- is relatively not noticed, not appreciated. So you can see, like like people who have to get who to drink a lot, or take drugs, or or obsessed with sexual pleasures, or or um, eating a lot of food, and and exciting the mind, and doing thrilling things. Because that's the time you feel alive. <clears throat> and the rest of your life you're not very much aware, you just can sink into dullness or depression. Because living a life takes a certain amount of effort. and uh, Or one can not put much effort into life and just float. It's easy to do that here in England, isn't it? Just. Get by without putting effort in, because the society will take care of you uh, if you don't want to bother to work or do anything you, know, you you'll, you'll get by you won't die uh i mean from you'll die eventually but <laughs> <laughs> so like societies that that uh, like this, people can just uh, drift and float, without putting any effort into anything at all. And in uh, third-world societies, you have to put effort in just to survive. Don't you have to, you know, go out and beg for some food or look for something if you're, you know, poverty-stricken or in a, a situation where you can't. Just, people won't just support you for nothing, you've got to kind of get out there and plant the potatoes or do something. You have to put effort in, so sometimes in uh, uh, third world countries, people are quite, uh, have, have that kind of vitality, the kind of brightness that comes from putting effort into their lives, where in affluent societies you get a lot of depression and dullness in people because it's uh, so easy to to uh, just get by. And this is just a reflection on paying attention. I mean, I quite appreciate the welfare system and the national health and all advantages of living here in England. I'm very grateful and uh, appreciate the way uh, the society looks after its people but uh, I'm not I'm not complaining just noticing uh, that um, that it doesn't make inc- incredible demands on on us so um, this uh, means that that we do have we do have opportunities to maybe put effort into things like meditation or developing uh, good qualities because we aren't just trying to survive just barely making it on a, a basic survival level we can we have uh, we can uh, put effort into things of importance like spiritual development you can see we're we're challenging everything in in that we take for granted in in our cultural conditioning such as the perceptions of time because the meditation is always the here and now dhamma you'll be very disappointed with meditation if you're doing it now in order to attain something in the future Uh, but the 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 it's always mindfulness is now, it's not something you, you, uh, you're going to be mindful in the future if you practice meditation, you're mindful now, it's paying attention now, it's putting forth that effort, it's an effort to, to listen and be alert and attentive. The eternal present, mm-hmm. the eternity is now. These are kind of things you you read in literature. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oftentimes we we, we can think, consider eternity as kind of time that goes on forever, but it's actually timelessness. Isn't it? So, the timeless is now when we uh, when we're not caught and bound into the time conditions, the mind is then, uh, say, at that point of eternity, of resting in the, in, the, in the now, in the eternal now. Well, you can't figure that out with your thoughts, the realization, because when you think about it, it uh, you know, the mind th- thought itself is, is a time condition isn't it so? It time time is is uh, you know thinking is begins and ends comes and goes. So it it uh, it is a time condition. So it, you can't think yourself into into enlightenment or realizing the eternal now as an experience. You can you can kind of uh, describe it and. Uh, and talk about it but to realize it is not through thought but through attention through awareness now Buddhist literature is abundant and you go to there's so many books uh, uh, and translations of scriptures and commentarial uh, works uh, from every Buddhist tradition and and people are writing books about their experiences on meditation retreats how many of you are going to write a book after this retreat? <laughs> uh, <and> people, <laughs> uh, people love to to write about about things that or about anatta, no self or about emptiness there's big thick books on emptiness uh, <laughs> In fact, on my 64th birthday, Venerable Kusilow gave me one of my own books called The The Way It Is, and it was, it had the cover title, you know, but every page was blank. (laughs) The best book I've ever written, (laughs) or ever not written. Like trying to describe God, isn't it? And you, all these kind of theologians in Christianity and that endlessly trying to write huge volumes on the nature of God. You think of the conceit of of some mortal human being writing about the nature of God. You know, it's uh, and of course you, you, the mind that. The, the the logical mind can you can think up very convoluted ways of thinking and describing. And both God is transcendent and immanent, and sometimes immanent, sometimes transcendent. <laughs> uh, and with and God uh, about holy wars. I remember there a few years back there was a uh, a program that. Called the Gods of War, and this was this was back in the eighties, uh, and I was interviewed. Uh, there was about twelve different religious people were interviewed for a, a, a weekly series of uh, religious views about the, about war, mm. and so. Uh, I went up to Glasgow, and and a lecturer from the University of Edinburgh came and interviewed me. And, and of course, with Buddhism, it's quite clear, you know, because we don't see God uh, in the way that most other religions do. And then uh, there's no way that that we can uh, say morally justify killing in Buddhism. You know, the, so it's very clear cut. Bhanadi dibanta, the first precept, is, is uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the basic moral precept that, that we take and uh, it doesn't mean that Buddhist countries don't have wars, but there's no way you can justify them through the religion, through Buddhism. And, then so the, and so the the other religions were always saying, well, sometimes God approves of a war. Uh, if it's a jihad, or if it's a holy war to protect the religion, or I don't know, like that, you could have, you know, that God disapproves of, of wars, maybe uh, most of the wars, but there's some wars that he does. So it gets very confused, you know, about, and, and, and we're speaking for what God approves or disapproves of. And so it, this is, is how the, the thinking mind works. You know. When you try to define God, and, and then you end up just either believing there is or believing there isn't any. Or you don't, know you just admit you're an agnostic. You're not sure, quite sure what it's all about, so you just remain a kind of don't know, <laughs> not even think about it because uh, can't figure that one out. And other people say, yes, there is a god. And other people say, no, there isn't any god. <coughs> but in mysticism isn't god is a realization it's through a, an awareness that mystics connect to that it's through and through a direct awareness an openness of the of the mind a mind that is is not grasping any ideas but receptive and open and so and and this is of course the what the buddha was pointing to in terms of liberation freedom from suffering was the mind that is is open receptive where truth and experience can be realized for what it is and you're not programmed with a lot of perceptions uh, to distort experience or to influence experience so you're you're tuning in on a level that is is pure and direct, and not cluttered with a lot of of um, perceptual uh, distortions, because per- perceptions distort experience, don't they? If we attach to 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 uh, thoughts and memories and and names for things and all that, then then we're always um, and we. We don't know the nature of attachment. We're just operating from from a programming of the mind, a cultural conditioning, or education, and we're caught in that. Then we tend to interpret life through, through the names we have for things, through the ideas, the biases, the, the uh, prejudices that we've acquired. And that's why it's so difficult to have, uh, have any kind of modus vivendis uh, on, on a lot of issues because everybody believes that their perceptual biases are reality. Isn't it? It's just uh, my, my interpretation of experience is, is the right one and you're, you're, you've got it all wrong. You know, like in marriages, you know, people, married, couple, quarrel, and, and they, each one is convinced their view is the right one, how they perceive the situation, the problem. They say, no, you've got it all wrong. You, you just don't understand. I'm, uh, this is the way it really is. But yet each one is, is uh, unless they're intentionally lying, but most of the time they're not. They're, this is how they perceive it. This is how they experience life. Through their perceptual conditioning, so so it it does create endless conflicts and and accusations about you're being dishonest or you're not telling the truth or you don't know what you're talking about because each one of us has our own particular maybe conditioned angle on experience, and that when. When we describe the sa- if we experience the same thing, each one of us is going to describe it quite differently and who whose who's, who's version is right uh, you know this is because you can't you can't make such statements it's not that there's any one right version but this is how you see it. This is how you experience it. This is how you interpret experience. The Buddha did not teach from metaphysical positions. So, because... The danger always is is that uh, that uh, that when you try to verbalize ultimate reality uh, and describe it, then it creates these biases. One, one is looking for something. One is not. One is uh, you know, one has got an idea that God is like this, so you go around trying to find it and and wonder, you know try to and, and end up maybe creating experiences. That, that go along with the perceptions that you've acquired. But in uh, the Buddhist approach, what you're, you're emptying the mind, you're letting go, so that the mind's quite clear, quite empty, pure. And then the insights from that state, in the insights uh, become apparent. You begin you, you to understand the way things are, realize the Dhamma. So the practices are very simple, the basic practices of Anapanasati, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of of Vedana, of feeling, of pleasure and pain and neither pleasure nor pain, Uh, mindfulness of the state of mind you're in, Now, a state of mind, a mood—if it's something, you know, quite definite, like anger or lust, or something then, it's, then you know, you feel, you know, anger is like this, and lust is like this. But a lot of experience is neither nor, is 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 rather amorphous or shapeless or you can't quite, you don't have no name for it, but you know what it feels like. You can't say it's this or that, but you can actually know that you're you're feeling this way. But when you try to describe it, it's hard to get the words to, to, because there aren't that many words to to, uh, be able to describe every, the whole range of experience that we have so some people limit themselves always to experience only through the limitations of their language and words you know, they, so, they, so reality always has to be has to be aligned with, with uh, a logical structure and, and the words that, that we uh, the language that we use we experience through perception. But then you're missing out on most of what's happening because uh, life isn't isn't bound into vocabulary and definitions and words it's, that's just a function of the mind but life is like this it's a on, it's a flow it's a conscious stream it's it's changing and and, and it it can't be captured and fixed in time so that that we're, we're contemplating impermanence, a Nietzsche, is a way of beginning to pay attention to the flow of conscious experience in the present. The sound of silence helps because it has a kind of flowing quality like the like the the wind or the or a stream uh, flowing by, and so we we're we're noticing the flowingness, the the movement of it, rather than than um, trying to fix it with perceptions, with words, with definitions. So, in developing meditation, keep keep uh, keep referring to the present, so that you're, you're uh, you know, the, the, as I said before, the body will always be the the thing that that will uh, stop the mind from just thinking thinking thinking. As you begin to just contemplate the. Uh, the sensations they say in your hands, or in your face, the feet, the shoulders, the the legs. What's touching what? How the clothes uh, touch your skin, the belt around your waist, the cuffs on your sleeves, the uh, the way your body sits on the on the cushion, uh, and all the rest of it. You you just keep keep observing the way it is in terms of sense sensation will help to to stop this this uh, wandering of the mind relaxing the body contentment developing a sense of of inner ease and relaxation and contentment rather than striving and struggling and controlling so that the the, medit- the, the the way of meditation is through relaxation, through attention, through, uh, through trust and faith, through just learning to relax and, and trust yourself to observe, rather than to endlessly search for something and try to get something or get rid of something. And in that state, then we can observe that very tendency of always trying to get something become something or get rid of something now in the four noble truths the the first noble truth is there is suffering it should be understood so understanding suffering is to stand under it and that too you don't define suffering with, with, you know, with words, but you, you, uh, you investigate it. Suffering is like this, so you embrace it, you, you, contemplate it, investigate, examine. These are the words that the Buddha used. Second noble truth is, is there is a, there are the causes of suffering, and what are these causes? They are. Attachment to desire to the three kinds of desire. so desire what is what is desire? Now it's an English word probably comes from Latin or French, <laughs> and uh, but the uh, Pali equivalent is dhanha, is dhanha but desire is, uh, is one's always looking for something desire is a movement of the mind that comes in always wanting something or wanting to get rid of something so and then we attach to desire we we grasp desire we, we become people who are always having desires and those desires are always You know they're always seeking something or trying to change something get rid of something desire is never content in itself is it it's it's not contentment it's not peaceful Uh, it's always moving so you always you know you get caught in it and then you're always being pulled by it and so and it becomes uh, the, the force of habit so it's a important to know what no desire is desire that is study desire so the three kinds of desires i think is is uh, desire for sense pleasures so that's quite an obvious one you know how it's the sensual pleasure uh, wanting to have what we what is attractive beautiful pleasant delicious Essentially pleasing, essentially exciting. So gaman dana, you, you can you can you can see when you when you have this you know, this desire for just to to have sense sense excitement, excite your senses and, and and experience pleasure through the senses. This desire is if you get caught in Gamadanha then you become these kind of hedonistic people. It's always you know you're trying to you find happiness and pleasure all the time and and so you you get fulfilled, you get what you desire, but then you, you but then you want another the next hit, you want the next one. So that it doesn't you know, you 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 can burn yourself out with gamadanha until you, you, you just kind of you know, collapse in a heap just seeking sens- sensual pleasures, as many people do. Because it, there's just no end to it, and until you you get kind of burnt out by it, and then you don't want any more for a while, it's like eating too much food, isn't it? You're very hungry, and 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 uh, and all this wonderful food, and you start eating it, and you you want more and more, and you want to try this, and you want to try that, and you eat more and more, and then you reach a point where you don't want any more. So even the most delicious food there is you don't want it you, you can't bear the thought of stuffing another morsel into your mouth but not very you know within an hour you want <laughs> So you get you can you can you can get satiated at best uh, but then but then you haven't really solved the problem you just have to satiate your sensual desires—it, you know—it has a very bad effect uh, on your health and on your uh, emotions. So to spend your life just a satiating desire is is uh, pathetic. You know, a lot of suffering comes from that. So gama is that, 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 and and to know. Just the the fourth. How I noticed with Garman Dun, it's just always looking for something, something to, to, to do. Just anything. Like I I used to notice in when I lived in Thailand, how you, you always want something to do. You go back to your your kuti and and you feel this desire to do something, but there's nothing to do. So you end up just picking up things and putting them <laughs> down or. Doing anything you know find something to to just do'cause uh, and if there's any food I mean, or anything to eat here in England it's cups of tea, isn't it <laughs> time for tea when you, you know, I don't know what let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. then gamadana, uh, dana is desire to to become it, it's like it's this ambition it, it's always trying to to become something you know to become better become successful become rich become powerful become enlightened and so it, it's a this, uh, this desire to become you begin to to notice that how how dissatisfied you are with yourself you want to become something else maybe you don't really like yourself very much the way you are so you, you want to become something you're poor and and, uh, and 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 nobody cares much about you so you want to become rich and powerful where people will pay attention to you or you want to prove yourself that becoming this sense of becoming so desire is always this movement of seeking something that you don't have either sense either a sense sensual object or some kind of idea to, to, to become uh, and attain some state that you imagine or it can be Adana, which is to the desire to get rid of things. Get rid of your smoking habit. Get rid of the pain in your legs. Get rid of uh, the bad memories. Desire to get rid of. So, so these these three kinds of desire. Get to know them. What they feel like. The desire to get rid of. You know, I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't want to be like this, I don't want these things, I don't want this mood, I don't want these memories, I don't want these emotions. And sometimes they're very, it's very righteous because if you're you're having, you know, bad thoughts and and, uh, horrible emotional upheavals, you, you know, it's natural, you don't want them. So we're not, we're not condemning desire, we're studying it, get to know it, <laughs> what it feels like. So I would, in, in daily life, I didn't, and we use this, this kind of observation of just what, they the get to know desire. I found these three kinds of desires very helpful reflections for me because I never before I never really contemplated desire. It said you know, I I knew what the word meant, but never really noticed it as experience. And the desire to get rid of things never thought of that as desire. It always seems, you know, right, kind of righteousness. And get rid of the devil, kill the devil, burn the witches. Get rid of the bad ones. Punish the criminals. Uh, get rid of the the bugs. Get rid of, you know, rent a kill. Insecticide. If it gets in your way and you don't want it, you just kill it off. Destroy. Get rid of. we a lot of that, don't we? <coughs> Murder comes from that. And so it's very uh, good, you know. Get rid of Saddam Hussein. A lot of whipping were done that towards Saddam Hussein, isn't it? Get rid of that horrible man. So, and or get rid of all the, th- the things you don't like about yourself. Get rid of your weaknesses. Get rid of your bad thoughts. So this getting rid of uh, is uh, something to to recognize is, is a desire the, and the, and the attachment to that desire always is, is the cause of suffering so the the insight when you when you investigate desire you know desire you you understand desire you <laughs> you you know what it feels like and what it is in, the, in its three aspects then Insight is to let go of it, because desire is desire, and uh, the problem is not with desire but attachment to it. Out of ignorance, we we we're always attaching to this, these desires, so we get always influenced by the desires. So letting go isn't getting rid of desire. I think that would be vipa Desire to get rid of desire is a desire. So you let go of desire, which is not Wipawadana. And then you see desire cease. So like like letting go, they let go of this clock this doesn't mean I throw it out, it means I put it down, and it's still there. can still use it. You know, a useful thing. Um, Nice clock. I can see it I can, without my glasses on. So I don't want to throw it out the window just to prove I'm not attached to it. But um, I've let go of it, uh, which means just letting it be what it is, not making a problem. And then, then le- desire. You, you, you uh, realize the cessation of desire. Desire ceases. Suffering ceases. So desire and suffering are oftentimes interchangeable in, in the Buddhist way of Dhanha and Dukkha. They work together, suffering and desire. So this, this is the insight into the Second Noble Truth, is letting go. Let go. And this Ajahn Chah was was uh, we say letting go, let go, put it down, let it be. Letting go, I think for many Western people, sounds like throwing out, you know, getting rid of. this you have to, you know, you have to uh, don't, you know, how you interpret these words, but uh, or how these words have the impact they have on your mind. But it it doesn't mean getting rid of. It means. Letting things be what they are, letting them be. So the desires that you have, you're let, you're, you know them, you're letting them be what they are. You're not getting rid of them, you're, you're letting go of them, you're letting them be. And then desire is impermanent, so you begin to recognize the cessation or the end of desire. Desire can't sustain itself. It's in Nietzsche, it's a condition that arises in thesis. So you you keep studying this and observing this till you realize the cessation, when, when desire has ceased, when there's no suffering, which is the third noble truth, the realization of cessation. So it's you know, this uh, this is uh, this is what we call reflective meditation, where contemplation. We're not we're not uh, some people think we're against desire, that that Buddhists shouldn't have desires. But that that's not that's uh, that's that uh, a distortion of the teaching, not getting rid of, or that we're not, we don't have to. We we learn from desire. We know desire. We study, examine, see it, know it, and then we know desire and non-attachment to desire, letting go of desire, non-attachment, and cessation of desire, and then desirousness. So this is your your mind then has has a perspective on the conditioned realm, desire the condition, it comes and goes. There's causes for it. It uh, and the 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 ignorance means we blindly attach to it. And so we're we just you know, these are habits that we form. We just we just caught in the momentum of our habits. But now in contemplating these habits we're seeing the what we're doing. So this whole teaching of the Buddha about desire and attachment is something that you can observe in yourself. It's not theory. It's not a theory. It's pointing to the way things are. And the way out, way out of that, those habits is through um, observing them, knowing them for what they are. there's a lot of desires that are quite good like, like say uh, Amrabhati to be uh, a good monastery there's this experience of suffering uh, from attachment that I've experienced living here. So, wanting Amarvati to be a good monastery and to be uh, respected and be of use. And then, uh, attachment to that desire leads to a kind of Anxious state when, when things don't always go well here. So then you, you get you, you start getting when things don't always go in the right way and things aren't so good. Then you then you you can feel yourself suffering. So then I, then I think why am I suffering? Am I suffering? Because I think my desire for amavati to be something for uh, understanding and liberation from suffering. so even you know wanting people to, to be successful, there are many things I suffered a lot. Of the years of wanting monks and nuns to understand the Dhamma, and then feel a lot of kind of disappointment when they don't seem to understand it. So then you then, then I think well, I'm suffering because because I'm attached to the desire for amongst the nuns to understand the Dhamma. See, that's a good desire, isn't it? Certainly. But attachment to that desire, isn't it? It's that attachment that is the problem, you know, that creates the suffering, is the cause of the suffering. So even, like, wanting your children to be, to do well and to be uh, you know, to do well in school and be good people, and then attachment to that desire means that you suffer when they don't quite live up to the to maybe the expectations you 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 have or the the, the standards that you hold as being what they should be. You know, then you suffer. Or if they become delinquents or drug addicts or or uh, something rather. We suffer enormously about children, or our children, or our relatives, our spouse and that, because we want them to be something, and we're attached to a, to a desire, and that will always take us to suffering. So this is for contemplation. This to, uh, to, I found this, this most useful to, uh, over the years. Uh, because it's quite accurate, uh, this attachment, desire and attachment. You get to know that, grasping of things. <coughs> There's uh, like having faith. I found in over the years um, the amount of faith I have in the Buddha-Dhamma Sangha Has become quite profound. Uh, Yet in the beginning, I I, I was—I didn't—I was much more kind of um, not so didn't have so much faith, but had I had initial inspiration. But I was quite critical person, and and saw Buddhism very much in 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 a kind of more like a philosophy. And then. Faith has arisen as through the practice, seeing how it works. And and this a sense of just total surrender and faith to the Dhamma now makes sense to me. I can really say, I just totally trust in the Dhamma. I couldn't have said that 20 years ago because I didn't trust it that much. I was figuring it all out and I was and and, uh, there was and I wouldn't have liked to have said anything like that it sounds too much like faith in God you know just surrender to the Lord and I don't like that all that Christian rubbish that I used to hear Mm -hmm. rebelled against it but now i can now i can i can understand what that means like surrender to the lord and i know what it means now so i it, it doesn't i don't find that offensive uh, anymore or or this trust and faith in the buddha dhamma sangha because uh, it is a, you know when you really examine experience and have the insight then you realize something that works and that you can really trust and that you don't have to worry endlessly worry about amravati, about the the monks or the nuns or who's understanding and who isn't and who and the state of Buddhism in the world or the development of Buddhism in the west or or this or that you you you, you realize that you don't have to worry or think or or uh, create problems around the Vicissitudes of life that you trust that you you have a a, a sense of trust and faith, so whatever happens what 's supposed to happen when you don't trust then you do get worried when things don 't go so well, you get worried when there are threats from outside when uh, People, you know, we've had over the past few years, people, senior members, suddenly uh, get up and leave. they feel very disappointed, or they're very uh, disturbed by the by the by their disrobing, and so easy to start worrying because you you, you the, that part of you wants to see the wants this reinforcement that this is the right way and it's going to get better and better and it's really benefiting everybody and the song in the west is developing and the monasteries are really getting you know rooted in the west they're really kind of getting their roots and and then when things don't look that way it looks like they're falling apart you know. But if you have faith, it doesn't matter whether they take root or not. It's not the point. You may you have no demands, you have no expectations. You trust in just your own ability to practice, because that's all you can ever really trust. You can't you can't make demands on other people. You can, but it, it doesn't. It uh, you suffer. They you, always. Making demands or expecting other people—you're always you're in for suffering. A lot of suffering. So, but you can, you know, work with with the way you are, with the experiences, with the conditions that you particularly are having, and trust in that rather than than in uh, in the external forms and the uh, all the. Uh, signs of development or decay or that that, that, that take place. life will present you with everything you, you need for enlightenment so so you know it's success and failure praise and blame uh, good fortune bad fortune being somebody you know that's raised up in the in society of somebody who's despised and looked down on in uh, in Thailand for example, being a monk in thailand you're you're raised up uh, everybody kind of uh, respects you so you, you wherever you go in Thailand you find people respect you so they 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 uh, defer to you and they look after you and and they treat you very nicely. And I like that. I like to be treated nicely and respected and looked up to and and, uh, and admired and appreciated. That's was very nice. Isn't it? I like living in Thailand because of that. Then uh, in the West, what happens? You get called names. Uh, you get, uh, you know, people laugh at you, make fun of you. And um, n- not everybody, but it ha This would never happen in Thailand, never been made fun of in Thailand. But here in England, quite often, you know, you're laughed at, Jewed at, pointed at, and, and abused verbally. Never been abused physically yet. So then, but both are of equal value, isn't it? I found being made fun of, and and that I think very, very uh, helpful to me because I was so used to the other. I mean, the first 10 years in Thailand, I was so used to being praised and, and respected. When I came to London, the first year, you know, I used to be frightened of going out of the Vihara. <laughs> going to the London Underground used to terrify me. And you know, those crowds of people, and you know, then down all those stairs in the Hampstead station, and into, the, into these kind of caverns, and you don't know what's all down there, and you know, you're kind of elbowing your way into the train cars. Where in Thailand they'd all say, please make way for this monk. (laughs) 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 Where in London underground, you just got to get in there with the rest. (laughs) Get out of my way. (laughs) And uh, and so you, you have, uh, in a different, different uh, experience of, say, be, being praised and blamed. But when you look at the mind that is attached to being respected and praised and admired, and they are attached to that, then you really suffer when you're made fun of and looked down on. But in terms of meditation, being looked down on and despised and made fun of is, is like this, feels like this, being praised, you're standing back and you're looking at what's happening rather than than then becoming addicted to praise and then then uh being very upset when you're criticized or made fun of so you're you're developing a mind that is 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 equanimous and clear rather than dependent on uh conditions being uh, the way you want them and what you're used to you can uh, you always have this adaptability to uh to use the existing conditions for mindfulness, so you 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 get beyond that uh, that uh, need to be praised and uh, and the resentment at being criticized. And so you're really developing a stability of mind, a clarity that comes with comes through wisdom and understanding. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the eight worldly Dhammas, that, then that, the like Lung Po used to say, they're both of equal value, both sides, success and failure. Where in the worldly life, we want to be successful, isn't it? To be successful is very important. To see yourself as a failure is... It's really depressing. And for men, isn't it, it's really depressing to to feel like you're a failure. And to be successful is, you know, what everybody wants, to feel I'm a success, not a failure. But in terms of Dhamma, success and failure are of equal value. Success is like this, failure is like this. They're uh, so you're not uh, being caught in the, you know, in jumping for joy when you're successful, and feeling uh, suicidal when you're a failure. Because you're willing to learn from experience, whatever it might be, rather than than try to control life to to build up yourself in in terms of being uh, admired, successful, wealthy have high status and happy, because there's no guarantee in life that that's how it's going to be. So we learn from the way it is. Contemplate that. I found that very useful in dealing with my own character, which, you know, definitely wants happiness, success, praise. What I like, <laughs> uh, and so, but but uh, having investigated that and having opportunities to to uh, to understand the uh, result of attachment to that, that even even e- even if you get all the success and praise and wealth and power and status even if you should get get it all you're stuck with the fear of losing it so successful people are always frightened that they're go- like wealthy people are always frightened they're going to lose it and successful people even though you are successful, there's always this fear that you're not going to be in the future so because if you get one you get the other you know, the, so even being a success it uh, doesn't mean you're going to be happy, but it means you're going to worry about losing it, not being successful. Because you know it's not, not a sustainable state. <coughs> or having power or praise and all that. So, so this is where this, the wisdom faculty is observing that these are uh, Dhammas, that the world uh, subscri- subscribes to, this is the nature of the world, and, uh, and we learn from it, and we learn non-attachment. And so whatever is happening, whatever we have to experience in life, then that is, that is the path that we're on, the eightfold path, the, the way to liberation. So that's enough for this evening. After for of that as a reflection. The